Father, thank you for giving us eyes to see your world, to enjoy uh, the sunshine and the beauty of it. We thank you even more that you've given us spiritual eyes. We begin to understand the things in your word and profit from them also and, and rejoice in their beauty. And thank you that all of them in your word from beginning to end ultimately point us to Christ, our Savior. May we see his beauty this day and rejoice in him. We give praise to you, O God, for your son Jesus and for your spirit that would help us see. We pray all these things in the name of you, O blessed triune God. Amen. If you've been in America very long, you know that it's a nation of commerce. Buying and selling. Maybe even getting a good deal once in a while. I learned fairly early that deals can be had or you can sell something even for a good price, even if it isn't a good deal. When I was in high school, um, they hired, Penn State University hired the State College high school football team to, to work at the concession stands for the football games. And so I had uh, a job often on Saturdays uh, when the home team, when Penn State was at home. And when it was a... In the fall, and it got a very warm day. You know, some of the days, you know, we could have snow, but some days it could be up in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And when that happened, we'd soon run out of Coke. And we sold large Cokes for two bucks, and we'd soon run out. And we found out that when a hot day like that, because of the way commerce is and people's needs and desires, supply and demand, that we could then, when we ran out of coke, go down to the places where we shoveled in the ice earlier and crack up the ice and put it in the cups and still get two bucks without any coke. So, uh, you know, the whole idea of supply and demand and, uh, and getting a good deal or a bad deal, just you never know because it's kind of what you want. So, this morning we're going to be talking about spiritual commerce. Good and bad deals for our souls as we begin to think about the gospel. And so um, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1 as we start this morning. Because in Romans chapter 1 you'll see some spiritual commerce. You'll see an exchange that goes on. And in Romans 1... The exchange, the spiritual exchange that you will see in Romans 1 is a spiritual exchange that every person that ever has lived and ever will live except for the Lord Jesus Christ, every person has made this exchange. This is some spiritual commerce that every soul in the world has. So as I read from Romans 1 starting in verse 18... This is the first great exchange, the first spiritual commerce, in a sense, that every soul makes. Romans 1, 18-23 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So we are without excuse. Let's just stop there for this morning for a minute. I have heard various people, and I even prayed when you commented this morning about, Look outside! Wow! What a day! Right? Zippity-doo-dah! You know? 
It just does that to us. We, we, we are all held accountable. You know, we should know that God is there. But the reason that is enough to let everyone know that God is there, not to be saved, but to be held without excuse when we, we have those kind of days. I've never been to the Grand Canyon. I hope to go someday. But I, I hear that's another one of those things where you just look at that hole in the ground and you just go, oh my, you know. It, it does that. And there are many other things that do that. It's one of the things, fun things about being in the West with mountains and all the rest, right? So, so we know that. We don't all see it, but we know of that first, uh, of, that, of everybody being held accountable that there is a God because of creation. Now, to, to not see that, when sinners don't see that and recognize God, we make an exchange. It's the first bit of spiritual commerce we do. So look in verse 21 now. Talking about the way we act. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. Because they're futile, they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So we have... All of us, as we look at the world, can understand and and held accountable that there is a God, that the world is bigger than we are. We couldn't have done it. It didn't happen by chance or mistake. And yet we choose in our sin not to worship the Lord God, but we choose to make, as in ancient times, more, and still some nations, they make idols outwardly. But we also make idols inwardly in our hearts. Our higher power when it's something higher than God. Everybody knows about 12 step groups, right? To, to, to deal with some kind of problem. Right? And, and I remember talking to my brother-in-law. And I asked him what his was. Um, because their, their son um, is a heroin, has been a heroin addict. And so they went to uh, the group for the families. And, and if you're going to make it through their steps, and he's having trouble making it through the steps because he doesn't have a higher power, you know. But he says, oh, it's myself. Or man. Humanity, that's his higher power. And, and he had to exchange the truth of living in this world to get his own idol. That which is his own religion. And so this spiritual commerce that goes on, every non-believer does this. Whether we make a totem pole or a Buddha or some other kind of outward idol or an idol of our heart, whatever is that higher power that drives us, everybody makes this first great exchange. And what does it say happens to people when we make this exchange? What happens in your relationship with God? What does it say in Romans 1? What do you receive from God because you... What do you deserve to receive from God because you make this exchange? Giving up Him for your other idols that you make. I'm sorry? He gives them up. His wrath. See, everybody in the world starts off with a broken relationship with God. He creates His world. That holds you accountable that He's there. And we make gods of our own and exchange them for Him. So everybody has a broken relationship with God. Everybody in the world. And we're under His wrath because of it. We have a broken relationship. And the gospel is what reconciles us to God. There must be a second exchange to be saved. All men have made this first exchange, exchanging Almighty God for idols we make outwardly or inwardly, our own higher powers, what we trust in. And so when we go to be evangelists, when we go gospelizing, We are ambassadors for Christ, 
We go in His name and in His power and with His message telling everyone they need to be reconciled to Him. See, the good news makes absolutely no sense. Much of the gospel is add Jesus to your life and it's like adding uh, some other thing that will just make your life fuller. But unless people know they're estranged from God, have made this exchange and they need to be reconciled that they don't come under His wrath, the gospel makes no sense. So you have to know this first exchange. That is the thing that people have to understand first before they can make the second exchange. And that's what, when we take the gospel to people, we're reconciling them to God so they don't come under His wrath. Turn to 2 Corinthians with me because God has clearly laid this out for us so that we, we can know how to help people to know of to be reconciled to God. That's not a very popular message, is it? The first thing you tell people, that you need to be reconciled to God. Your relationship with God is broken. You might have this higher power. You might have this thing that you have as your God, but it's not. You've exchanged whatever you're trusting in if you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 helps us. And this is the exchange, the first exchange, the spiritual, the first spiritual commerce that goes on is one that every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl has made. Come into the world having made this exchange. The second one is the exchange that is made when you come to Christ. And this is the spiritual uh, commerce that needs to also go on. Everybody is spiritual. Everybody in the world has made the first exchange. They've made that switch. This is the exchange that we are bringing to them that they would be reconciled to God and not be under His wrath. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. From now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us... This is what... The gospel's about. This is what Christians are about. This is, if you bear his name, this is your job now. And he gave us a ministry. Everybody's in the ministry. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, what is that? He tells us. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses, that first great exchange against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now here it is in verses 20 and 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For for our sake... He made him, for our sake, God, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That's it. You see, in these two sets of scripture, you have the gospel. You have man's problem. All men have made the first great exchange. Creation shows us that we should be worshiping Almighty God and that we choose to worship something He's made or something we make and not Him. Therefore, we're all under His wrath for having made that exchange. But now, those who are in Christ make a second exchange that they might be reconciled to God. Okay? And the exchange is our sins by trusting in the finished work of Jesus, 
His perfect life lived for us and His sinful death given for us. We exchange our sins. They are credited, imputed upon Him. And His righteousness is imputed on us. Therefore, God's wrath is taken away from us and our relationship is restored with Him. We're reconciled. Because when He looks at us, He sees Christ's righteousness. And that's why Jesus dies on the cross. Because He takes all of the wrath of God for our sins. That's the second great exchange. And unless that exchange happens, there is no salvation. So, evangelism is letting people know that they are at enmity with God. And they might not realize it, but God is at enmity with Him. Because they made the first exchange and don't worship Him, His wrath is upon them. In evangelizing, the good news makes sense now and is good because you can be reconciled to God and not be under His judgment. That is our ministry. That is why if you are a Christian and you have the name of Christ upon you, you are a Christian, a little Christ, an ambassador. You go in His name, in His power, with His message, with His ministry. Our job is to tell the world that is under God's judgment, that has a broken relationship with Him, is under His enmity, that they can be reconciled by God's provision. The second great exchange is Christ's righteousness by faith is laid upon us. Our sin is laid upon Him. Is that clear? It's wondrous, isn't it? To just see how clear that is. Now that message is not always popular to tell people that they have a broken relationship with God. And that's part of our difficulty, is, is telling people that. That they, they, that they aren't good enough. They might be an upstanding person in the community, but if they're not worshiping Almighty God, they are under His wrath and judgment because He will have... He is a jealous God. The first commandment is what? I am what? Right. And every other sin goes from that. Being at enmity with God Almighty. And the good news doesn't make any sense without people knowing first of the first exchange that all men make. But they can. The great news is instead of coming and receiving God's wrath, you can be reconciled with Him. And He loves sinners so much He would put all the wrath for our disobedience, for our having other gods, and place it on Christ, and that we might receive his righteousness. Those two passages, if you mark them and know them, those alone can give you the way to explain the gospel to others. And talking about that and thinking about that exchange in different ways to explain it. Christians... Are Christ's ambassadors first telling non-Christians that they need to be reconciled with God? Now, we're going to be just taking a few minutes and going through the second great exchange, which is a picture of the gospel. And we're just going to take in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 20 and 21. So let's, let's start there and use that, okay? Second Corinthians 5, 20. This is what a Christian is. This is our job. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ to be reconciled with God. So we're called to be peacemakers, reconcilers. And the message is, starts off the bad news, God is against you. 
God's wrath is upon you. You have no hope by any good that you do on your own. God must intervene because He demands perfection and you are not. Most people that I've ever talked to, in fact, everybody that I've ever talked to that were serious, but one person has always understood that they were a sinner. But I did talk to one person one time. I said, did you sin? He said, nah. He just, and he, he, he just, no, I'm a good guy. And uh, it was just amazing to me. And then I had time. It was on an airplane, and I happened to be sitting next to him. He was captive and uh, willing to talk. But we went through the Ten Commandments and talked not just about the outward things that happen, but the inward things that happen. But as he told me that he didn't sin, it was just funny because he worked for Ripley's, believe it or not. And, uh, and I just said, well, this is the first thing of Ripley's, believe it or not, that I don't believe. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, no, uh, you, you are a sinner. And we went through that. And, he, and at the end, he, he understood that. He didn't necessarily make the second great exchange and trust Christ, but he could see that he wasn't. But so, so, so we have to tell people that's our job. If you, want to, if you want to sum up what gospelizing is, it's being ambassadors for Christ, taking the, the message that sinners need to be reconciled with God. Okay? So we don't have to make this harder than it is. Now, we need to find all kinds of ways to tell people that. Right? We can't necessarily just whip out a verse... Okay, I could tell that guy he was a sinner, but he didn't believe it, right? So I had to figure how I got Mr. Ripley's believe it or not to understand that he was a sinner, right? So I had to think of other ways to get there, right? That's the message. But God, what? Steve, are you just raising your hand or scratching? Okay. Better watch that. Sold. <laughs> Because they've, everybody has made the bad deal with the first great exchange, we need to tell them that there is another deal that can be made and has been paid for. We are also Christ's ambassadors, not to just tell them about the bad deal that everybody has made in the first great exchange, but to tell them about the good deal they can make to have their sins credited to Christ's account. And their sins, his their sins credited to Christ's account and His righteousness credited to their account, therefore becoming justified, holy, and acceptable and reconciled with God. So follow now First, Second Corinthians 5 and 21. For our sake, He... That is, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That's the second great exchange. That's the wondrous exchange. That is an exchange that that is such good news, because usually uh, when you're making exchange, you have to pay something for it, and you're not sure about the deal. When we lived in South Texas, I loved going to Mexico because we were only about 10 miles from it because I like yard sales and bartering. I like to take 10 bucks to a yard sale and come home with all this junk I don't need. It just makes me feel good, you know. And, uh, and, and so in Mexico, you know, everybody's on the street. Oh, senor, come over here, almost free, you know. Everything's almost free. And, uh, and I would go and get uh, Mark jewelry there. Uh, at the local vendors on the street. And I had to find out what the stamp for real silver was, you know, so that it had a real hallmark on it. So hopefully I was buying real silver, unless they found a way to sneak their own, you know, stuff on there. So you're on the street and you're doing this and you're going, oh, how much is this? Oh, $10. Ah, no, a dollar, you know. Yeah, 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 $8. No, $5. No, you know, so I walk away, you know, and I'm kind of looking, you know. I'm walking away confidently, and they come running after me. Oh, senor, senor, this is, yeah. And so, you know, you get it almost free, and you feel good, and they've sold something, and they feel good. But you're never sure if you got a good deal. You know, you're just never really too sure. But this is an amazing deal. 
It's a wondrous deal. Because you have nothing to offer. In fact, you don't even want the deal unless God changes your heart to want it. But it's free. Now, it doesn't come without commitment. We talk about commitment in the Christian life and following Christ. But this exchange is a wondrous exchange for our sake. God made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Pastor John MacArthur summarized it this way. I like this summary. It's just helpful for me. On the cross, God treated Christ as if He had committed all the sins of every sinner who would ever believe so that He could treat believers as if they had lived Christ's perfect life. On the cross, God treated Christ as if He committed all the sins of every believer who would ever believe so that He could treat believers as if they had lived Christ's perfect life. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.21 even more specifically. For our sake, He, God, made Him Jesus. God makes this deal. We didn't even know there was such a deal. Because we had made the first great exchange, had become gods unto ourselves, or had made gods of our own. And God could have left us in that position, but God takes the initiative when we're under His wrath. That's why it says in Romans 5.8, While we were still His enemies, Christ died for us. We were people on our own live merrily as if the exchange we made having our own gods or being gods ourselves is perfectly fine. We don't even know we're under God's wrath. But God takes the initiative. Look what it says. For our sake, God made him Jesus. And he's going to talk about the exchange that happens. But God initiates this. Turn to Acts 2. Because you need to see this in the preaching of Peter, that salvation is initiated by God. He goes after his enemies. If I go after my enemy, you know why I go after my enemy? I go after for revenge and to finish him off. You know, if I'm going after my enemy, it's to make sure that I kill him so he doesn't come back and get me when I'm not looking. Right? But God goes after his enemies to reconcile them. And Acts chapter 2, as Peter preaches, Acts chapter 2, 23, look what Peter says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You see, Jesus just didn't get crucified just because he was bringing God's message and people didn't like him. That's what God used. It says later in the verse, lawless men crucified him. But it says it was God's predetermined plan and purpose before the world was ever made. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, knowing that Adam and Eve would sin, making the great exchange, knowing that each of us would sin, making the first great exchange, provided Christ to be the second great exchange. God's love, if you have come to know Him, has been upon you from eternity. Before the world was there, He had planned your salvation. That's how much God loves sinners whom He will save. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Jesus was holy, harmless, and undefiled, and takes the sin of his people. Now, let's continue in the verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. The second great exchange, all of what it is about, the joy of it, the first part of it, there's, in the second 
great exchange, there's two parts to it. The first is God makes Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. The full weight of God's wrath is going to come on Jesus because he now becomes unreconciled to God. His relationship is broken. The wrath of God goes upon him. There's one time when in the scriptures that I know of when Jesus doesn't call God his Father. There's only one time. Because the relationship is now broken. Because at that time, he has our sins, the sins of those who trust him, laid upon Christ. When is that? And what does he say? Yeah. You see, he doesn't say, Father. That relationship is broken. One time that I know of Jesus calling out to God and not talking about Father. Because he is taking the sin, our sins, upon him. 1 Peter 3.18 says it this way. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive to Christ. Now, this second great spiritual exchange... The first part of the exchange, what is made for payment, what happens is is that our, our sins are laid on Christ. We become reconciled to God because the second part of the deal is we receive Christ's righteousness. It's not just that his, if it was just Christ's death for us, His perfect death, then our sins would be wiped clean, but then we'd be back like Adam and Eve in the garden. We'd have to be perfect every day or God's wrath would come back on us. You see, Christ didn't just die for us, but He also lived for us. So that we not only have this perfect sacrifice for our sins, we receive His righteousness. So that whenever God looks upon us, He sees Christ. We're never kicked out of his family for being bad boys and bad girls. Now, when we are, we need to repent. We need to confess it. But because we have Christ's righteousness, we're never lost. And so you don't always have to say, Am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? Did I make it today? How's my standing? Am I okay? In that sense. We ask those questions because we hurt the one we love. We sin against our Heavenly Father and want to make it right. But it's not that we have to say, Oh, have I done enough repenting? Was my repenting good enough? Did I remember every sin? You don't have to worry ultimately because you have Christ's righteousness placed on your account. It's an alien righteousness. It's not a righteousness that's yours. It's His that you have now. So that in Him, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Is that wondrous? That's a wondrous thing. Some of you, I know, still wonder. You're still asking that question. Am I God? Am I okay? And if we sin against God, our Heavenly Father, and our fellowship with Him, in a sense, our desire to love and serve Him is broken, we need to repent of that, of course. But He never unadopts us. He doesn't adopt us and say, well, this little kid I adopted wasn't this little cute, cuddly thing that I thought would grow. How many of you known people have adopted people and the adoptions have just gone terrible? Right? You know, I've known people that give their lives and think, oh boy, we're adopting. It's, it's, it's like God adopting us. And, this is just, and some stories are wondrous. There's a movie coming out uh, at Thanksgiving called Blindsided. Hope you go see it. It's, it's about this Christian family, a uh, uh, white family that adopted this gigantic uh, black guy who's a football, ends up being a football player. He's for the Ravens now. 
and, and they just loved him and cared for him. It went right. Right? But a lot of adoptions, I mean, they go right because they should have, and I'm glad they did, but, you know, the kids end up hating these people who gave their lives for them. Right? They brought them into their homes, and, and they might rob them or, or, or just, you know, just hard stuff. Right? But if you love the kid, you don't adopt them. Right? And boy, if I were God and I'd adopted me, I'd say, oh my, what? Of course, God's, you know, God's different. What did I do? That McGuire guy, he <laughs> did it again. I can't believe it. But he doesn't adopt me. I have the righteousness of Christ. Yes, because of Christ's righteousness. We have it on our account. It's enough forever. Mm-hmm. That's why he rejected him. That's why this, the dark, the skies went dark. That's why he dies. But to show that Christ, that God received that as payment, Christ is risen. It was paid. It was done. It is God's wrath for His children's sin was expiated. It's done, gone, completely on Christ for all times. In Philippians 3.9, the Apostle Paul says this, Indeed, I count everything, and he's talking about his past life. And if you remember, Paul was right up there among the, the bright people and the leaders and all the rest. He says this in Philippians 3.9, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. You never have to wake up in the morning and say, Did I did it? How's my righteousness today? Are you going to receive me, God? I don't have. You never have a righteousness that comes from the law but which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on your works. No, did it say that? Did it say that? Oh, hallelujah, it doesn't say that. Because if it had said that, every day we'd wake up and say, have I done enough? Did I do okay today? How's my record? Now, when you have a relationship with someone you love, you do ask those same questions, don't you? In a sense, not your record, but have I hurt them? Have I gone against their desires? You see? But you see how their two are radically different in the way you live? You must be clear to remember that Christ's life for for us The atonement was not just His spotless shed, blood shed for us, but also His holy life lived for us. Jesus was acting as our substitute, so that everything He did as a man, He did on our behalf. And everything He did ultimately contributed to our redemption. That's the reason that Christ didn't simply take the body of a human adult, visit earth for a weekend in a full-grown incarnate form and die, then ascend to heaven. I mean, you know, Jesus could have just came down. Perfect, right? Appear as a man. Hey, I'm Jesus. Up on the cross. Bam. Right? And then he wouldn't have lived a life for our lives. You see, it says, He was tempted in all ways as we are, yet didn't sin. 
He went through the temptations that an infant has. He has the temptations that a child has. He has the temptations that a teenager had. He had the temptations that an adult had. And he lived this holy and perfect and spotless life, not just to shed blood, but his life so that his righteous life would be accredited to our lives so that now we are righteous before God. The great exchange is the very essence of the doctrine of justification. It is more than just forgiveness for my sins. That would merely leave me with a blank slate. But the positive merit of Christ's righteousness is also credited to my account. So I get full credit for the perfection of His divine righteousness and His holy life. Um, I need some hymnals passed out for us. Because at the end is the Westminster Confession of Faith. And I want you to look at one of the chapters in particular. We only have time for that. But chapter 11. And it's the chapter on justification where where our brothers who've gone before us have, have written uh, the, the confession with these different chapters where, where they systematize. We, have, we do have the same confession because of the size, the size of our hymnals. Jane, can I have one beside you? I need one. I didn't get one. Thank you. Um, because of the size of our hymnals, they didn't put all the scriptural references with the, with the confession or the larger catechism. But what they've done here is systematized the scriptures. They've, they've taken what the scripture says about this subject over here and over here and over here and they've brought them together so that we might understand. And so here in, in, in the chapter of justification, and I would commend to you for another time the chapter on good works so that you would understand that your good works can't add to your justification. And, and also then your assurance that, that, you, that you always have assurance because of your justification. But we only have time to look at chapter 11. It might be on page 855. I'd looked at one this morning. Because I thought that it would be good to go over this chapter I was looking at. I just want you to follow along. And, 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 and if you need to, we can get you a, a confession with all the scripture that goes with this. And that's a joy too, looking at it. Um, and it even uh, applies it more. But, uh, but our brothers who've gone before us said, Oh, we need to hear this. We need to understand it's not our works. We need to understand that we don't get unadopted. That, that we're Christ forever because of Christ's shed blood and His holy life lived for us. That's Him being our substitute in life and in death. Chapter 11 of Justification. We're going to, I'm just going to read through these. And, and I hope you'll read with me. And just, I hope your heart will just start soaring as you realize how wondrous your Savior is as He's been given to you, His life and His death. To whom, excuse me, chapter 11 of Justification. Those whom God effectually calleth, He also freely justifieth, not infusing righteous into them by pardoning their sins, but by accounting and accepting, accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, not by imparting faith itself as an act of believing or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing, which means crediting to their account, the obedience and the satisfaction of Christ unto them, they receiving and resting on Him and His righteousness by faith, which faith they have not lost, not of themselves, it is a gift of God. Faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and His righteousness, is alone instrument of justification. Yet it's not alone if the person justified, but it's ever accompanied by all the saving graces and is no dead faith, but worketh by love. So that if you are and have received Christ's justification, His, His, His righteousness accredited to you, you'll be changed. But you don't have to worry about those changes. You, you look to Christ for your hope. Chat number three. Christ, by His obedience and death, did fully 
discharged the debt of all those that are justified and did make a proper, real, and full satisfaction to his Father's justice in their behalf. Yet, inasmuch as he was given by the Father for them and his obedience and a satisfaction accepted in their stead, and both freely, not from anything in them, their justification is only of free grace, that both the exact justice and rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners. Number four, God did from all eternity decree to justify all the elect, and Christ did, in the fullness of time, die for their sins and rise again for their justification. Nevertheless, they're not justified until the Holy Spirit doth in two time actually apply Christ unto them. So that means even though before the beginning of time God set his love upon you, you're not actually justified until God gives you the faith and you trust Christ. That's when it actually happens. Number five, God doth continue. God does continue to forgive the sins of those that are justified. And although they can never fall from a state of justification, they may, by their sins, fall under God's justly father, God's fatherly displeasure and not have the life of His countenance restored unto them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg their pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. So it does mean, just like children that we would adopt, if they're going to be rebellious, to win them back, to show them what they need to do to change, they're going to be disciplined at times, but you never unadopt them. Your Heavenly Father says repeatedly, in fact, one of the most repeated scripture in all of the Bible is God disciplines those whom He loves. Number six. The justification of believers under the Old Testament was in all these respects one and the same with the justifications of believers under the New Testament. It was never by them keeping the law, but it was them looking to the final sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would apply His life and His death and credit to them by faith. Abraham was justified by faith. David was justified by faith. Rahab was justified by faith. All the Old Testament saints were just on the other side of the cross, looking forward to when Christ would be that once for all satisfaction for our sins. As we end, I want to just go to two places and read these these statements to you. I know you don't have them in front of you, but uh, they're just... I just added these this morning because they're part of what I read in my own devotions and just rejoiced in, in God's providence. They just fit. The one is from the Gospel Primer, and it's the section, Freedom from Sin's Guilt and Power. You might know of being struck in your own heart at times like this. As long as I'm stricken with the guilt of my sins... I will be captive to them and will often find myself recommitting the very sins about which I feel most guilty. The devil, the accuser of the brethren, is well aware of this fact and he knows that if he can keep me tormented by sin's guilt, he can dominate me with sin's power. Some of the worst sins that we have, the ones we recommit, it's because we're saying, Oh, I did it again. Oh, God's not going to hate me. And we, and we hear another one. Then we get another one piled on and another one piled on another one. And we get into such a ditch that we're just overwhelmed. Rather than going to Christ and say, Oh, Christ, you've forgiven me. You have done the work. And as we look to Him, that sin that became was so beautiful loses its beauty when you look at the beauty of Christ. You don't have to look at your sins. Look to Christ. When you look to Christ and His beauty and what He's done, that's what stops us from sinning. It's not, oh no, I've sinned, the sword of Damocles is over me, whammo. Christ didn't say it this way, and I've looked at it for a long time. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. (laughs) It's almost like that. He says, if you love me, you understand what happens? You'll keep my commandments. Because you love me. Because you understand. You don't want to go against me because you would hurt me again. 
Martin Luther, in his study of Galatians, says this, because he knew what it was to try to earn the way before, and he was tormented by the law. And when he understood and read Romans and and could see that the just shall live by faith, he says this, Let us learn, therefore, in great terrors, when our conscience feeleth nothing but sin, and judges that God is angry with us, and that Christ has turned his face from us, not to follow the sense and feelings of our own heart, but to stick with the word of God, which saith that God is not angry, but looketh to the afflicted, and such as are troubled in spirit, and trembled his word, and that Christ turneth self not away from such as labor and are heavy laden, but refreshes them and comforteth them as he calls them to come unto himself. See the glories of the second great exchange. God has provided Christ righteous life and a sinless death for you. And that Christ took upon himself is God's wrath for you forever. And that you're God's child. And he looks at you joyously this day because of Christ. Rejoice. Oh God, make our hearts rejoice as this truth. Cause us to be so enamored by this, so rejoicing in it, that we become reconcilers. That while we must tell people the bad news that they have made the first great exchange. They are at enmity with God. Yet, nothing they can do except come to Christ, who draws them as we go as ministers of reconciliation to tell them of the second deal they must make and can make through Christ to be reconciled to God because Jesus has paid the price for sinners. Oh, God, open our eyes, open our hearts to see and to know and to share for Christ's sake and glory. Amen.